This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday morning, and we're happy to have you here. Thanks for stopping by. As you probably have figured out, we are off on vacation this week, and we're bringing you some revisits or best of episodes from the past. And I went way back to June the 8th of 2016 on this particular episode. We had Haggard Equine Vet Dr. Barrett on to answer a boatload of lameness questions. Plus, we visited the White House in our Horses and History segment, and we had assorted moral dilemmas as we usually do. Plus, longtime listeners will remember... We used to do a European report with Victoria, and she was on this particular episode, and we talk about Thor the Mustang. So there's a whole bunch went on back in 2016. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It is brought to you by State Line Tack. You know, one of the things you can get at State Line Tack that makes an excellent gift is the Heart to Horse Box. The Heart to Horse Box, well, with every one, uh, their equine experts put together a fun assortment of products that both you and your horse are sure to love. You can always buy an individual box to try or subscribe. You can buy it as a gift. So if you want to buy one heart to horse box and send it off as a gift to somebody, it's a perfect gift. You can subscribe monthly and receive these box every month and treat yourself to the perfect gift every month. It's just a fun thing to do. I know a lot of our listeners do it and have liked it for years. And a little bit of the proceeds go to 4-H as well. So you can find that at State Line Tack. It's called the Heart to Horse Box. Give it a try. Fun gift idea. The health segment today is brought to you by the Horse Nutrition Podcast on the Horse Radio Network. Now in the third season, each show highlights some of the world's most extraordinary horses, how they're trained, and what kind of nutrition they're given to help fuel their performances. Episodes this year include training Hollywood movie horses, therapy horses helping veterans, and an inside look at traditional charro horsemanship. It's all a part of Purina's Full Rain documentary series. Go to PurinaMills.com slash Full Rain to see all the films, interviews, and podcasts. That's prenamills.com slash full rain. And now let's get on with the show. We hope you enjoy. Have a great day, everybody, and be safe. That's right, it's Ghostbusters Day, everybody. One month uh, till the opening of the new one. Gosh, I was wondering why you were playing this, but like, this is... Can I ask you a question? Have you ever... Could you name the singer of this song if you didn't have it right in front of you? No, I have no idea who that was. <laughs> That's because Ray Parker Jr. never had to write another song ever again. <laughs> Like yeah, I bought he, an island. <laughs> he did pretty well. That song was number one for three weeks after the movie came out. But that okay. is the most recognizable. Oh my gosh! Like that song right there. Have you ever heard of Ray Parker Jr. being on tour? No, 
I, yeah. I have no idea who Ray Parker Jr. is. If you, it, I didn't even know till today who wrote the song. I'm going to Google that right now and just see where on earth Ray Parker Jr. is right now. Because right, bless do. his heart, he's making he's fine. You know, it's Ghostbusters Day because today uh, in theaters all across the country here in Ocala, too, they're doing showings of the original Ghostbusters in the theater. Now, it's at 7 o'clock tonight here in Ocala. I'm hoping that we can get there. But, uh, you know, I've seen that movie about a thousand times. But seeing it in the theater, I think, would be so cool again. Yeah. I have... My dad wasn't much of a TV guy and wasn't much of a movie guy. I can remember going to two movies with him. Because this came out, believe it or not, in 1984. And I went to two movies with him. One was 2001 Space Odyssey because he wanted to see it. And I was probably in high school and I think I fell asleep. And then uh, I bugged him to go see Ghostbusters because I thought he'd like it. And so that's one of the two movies I ever remember seeing with my dad was Ghostbusters. Wow. Yeah. I mean, everybody has those kind of memories about... There's certain things in your life that you have those kind of memories about, and I think Ghostbusters for people is one... Star Trek, Star Wars, maybe. Star Wars, probably more than Star Trek. And Ghostbusters are are, are those that uh, people have it about. Really? So, Ray Parker, whatever happened to him? Um... Did you know that Huey Lewis actually sued Ray Parker Jr. stating that the melody to Ghostbusters infringed on the copyright of Huey Lewis and the news song, I Want a New Drug, that had been released the previous year? The two parties reached a settlement in 1995, which, that's a lot, 84 he got sued. They reached the settlement in 95, which banned either party from revealing any information that was not included in a joint press release issued at the time. So they were in court for 11 years. In March 2001, Parker filed a suit against Lewis for breaching part of that settlement because apparently Lewis like talked about it publicly. So I'm going to wager a guess that poor Ray Parker Jr. is just that. Poor. poor. <laughs> Probably broke. Because he is currently on tour. Let's see. It says Ray Parker Jr. enjoys spending time with his family (laughs) while (laughs) continuing his love for music. And he's playing like at a, um, oh gosh, I don't want to tell you. He's playing at um, like a little sushi bar this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Ray Parker. Oh, Ray Parker Jr. If you're in San Francisco this weekend, go to Yoshi's. (laughs) I think that's a sushi bar. (laughs) Poor Ray. You know, this this film, Dan Aykroyd was the one who wrote it, and he truly believes in ghosts. And that's why he wrote Ghostbusters, because he didn't think it was right for skeptics to dismiss the paranormal, because he believed in it, and it's one of the reasons he wrote it. Chevy Chase and Michael Keaton both turned down the role of Dr. Peter Venkman. That's Bill Murray's role. They Uh both turned that role down. Eddie Murphy and John Candy both turned down main roles in the movie. Eddie Murphy said when he read the script, he thought it was the stupidest thing he'd ever seen. Are you serious? Yes. um, 
And it, it was kind of really stupid, stupid if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really stupid. Like, oh, there's a ghost attacking. We have to put them in these cages and somebody lets them out. And we have to st- yeah, I doubt that Eddie Murphy. Oh, we're going to make though. a car out of an ambulance, you know, uh, yeah. an old ambulance, which what it was, actually, it was an old a- ambulance. And they made it. Oh, it's not a hearse. No, it was a hearse. You're right. It was hearse, an old yeah. hearse. And they, they it was painted black when they got it. They found it in a junkyard. And they, is this real life? Yeah, this is real life. They they okay. found it in the junkyard, and it was painted black. And they weren't sure, you know, the black didn't work. They actually started filming the movie with it painted black and nothing on it because they thought, you know, the whole hearse thing was kind of funny. Uh, but the problem was the the visual director came back and said the hearse is getting lost, you know, because it just doesn't pop. So that's when they changed it all around and they painted it white and they put the bubble on the top and the whole thing. That's when they switched it around was was the visual director said, this isn't working. Huh. Um, now, there's something fun happening tonight. I'm not a Jimmy Kimmel Live person. We mostly watch The Tonight Show. But all the cast members, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and <clears throat> Annie Potts, will join Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones all on Jimmy Kimmel Live tonight. So wow. that's one you're going to want to DVR. You know what? I'm going to call them and say they need to put dang Ray Parker Jr. on that show. Yes. <laughs> we want more Ray Parker Jr. Bless his heart. So that'll be on tonight. So be sure to, I just set that to record. Um, I can't believe those people turned on roles. You've got to be like, wow, that was like the biggest movie make money maker like in history. It was. It actually, it was the highest grossing comedy of all time until the release of Home Alone. It had made two hundred and forty million domestically, which is equal to five hundred and eighty million and over a billion internationally uh, until Home Alone came out. So it was the highest grossing movie of all time. You know, one of our favorite parts of going to the parks here in Ocala or in Orlando was going to the Ghostbusters thing. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, it's just so cool, man. I used to be like Eddie Murphy. Those guys were like, "Dang, should have taken that role." <laughs> And no, not that they didn't do well anyway, but well, you know, Chevy Chase was also in the SNL days. This was all, and by the way, about fifty percent of this movie was ad libbed, uh, and I I think it's because Bill Murray can't follow a script. But um, they said it was ad libbed <laughs> because all these guys worked together in in Second City in Chicago, and they all worked together on SNL, so they were all improv comedians anyway. Uh, He's got to have written down the part where he was like, my girlfriend is a dog. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Sorry. The marshmallow goo that explodes after they shoot the marshmallow man was 50 uh-huh. pounds of shaving cream. How much does oh. it take to make 50 pounds of shaving cream? <laughs> By the way. Uh, yep. And the state, how much? Uh, the, uh, the state bu- it says here the state buff marshmallow man suit cost $20,000 each. And now, they- how? They made a lot mean? of them, actually. The, the giant Stay Puff marshmallow. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the giant Stay Puff marshmallow suit was the size of a guy, and there was a guy in it, and they built miniature buildings, and that's how they. Found <gasps> oh, you're hurting my brain right now. It did not. <laughs> and that was designed. Really New York. Oh, and that was, of course, designed after this. You know that the the uh, the Stay Puff guy. What was his name? Uh, Pillsbury Doughboy, and and the reason that they did the miniatures was Dan Aykroyd was also into the the old Japanese Godzilla and Ultraman and all those where they uh, made it and they made models to do it to, to for each of those shows which we used to watch as a kid and that's why he ended up uh, doing it that way because he loved those so much. 
Uh, I love Dan Aykroyd. He's great. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, the, yeah, you totally sound like Cliff Clavin about the Ghostbusters. Uh, I, I can tell you're movie. excited. <laughs> I can't wait for the first, the next one because I love Melissa McCarthy. Like, she's my. I'm pretty sure we would be my best best friends if we ever met. Well, you want to hear one of the trailers for the new one? Yes. Coming out when? July. July fifteenth. July fifteenth. Okay. We'll have to have it a watch party every night. Whatever they are. No one should have to encounter that kind of evil. Except you girls. I think you can handle it. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Thanks. Somebody is trying to unleash the dead on New York City, and we may be the only ones who can save it. Why am I operating the untested nuclear laser? You have the longest arms. Fire! Oh, uh-oh. These women are just sad. I'm sure she just misspoke. Sad, bored, lonely, sad women. Oh. Hello, I'm here at the receptionist job. Hi, you're hired. <laughs> God, you're <all> sweaty. <laughs> there are people out there that need our help. Okay, I got it. We need to form a group and build something to fight these damn ghosts. That's exactly wh- what we already do here. Oh, we're the Ghostbusters! Something big is going to happen. I think the word we're looking for is apocalypse. And you, especially you. We don't want mass hysteria. Get out of the city! Get out of the city! Kevin, can you answer the phone? I can't. It's in the fish tank. The one on the desk. Oh, that one. Uh, what's the place called again? Conductors of the Metaphysical Examination. Got it. Ghostbusters. Patty! Don't move! You got a. Uh... No, I'm tired. No, no, listen. I'm just gonna go ahead and take off. How about that? I, I don't really think. Nope. Going to take off. Don't upset the ghost. Really? <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited. And the addition of Thor as a receptionist. Yes. Oh. I love him when he does comedy, actually. He's good at comedy because he's so deadpan. He's so good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be good. I can't wait. I and- love him shirtless. They've got to have him shirtless at some point, right? <laughs> They had them all dressed up as a receptionist, like a coat and tie. Now, do you, do you remember, now, in 1984, they had no CGI. So it's going to be a completely different movie this time. Everything, you know, was done the old-fashioned way back in 1984. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be great. All right, sorry I'm geeking out, but it's Wednesday. Let's you talk know. about horses. Yeah. Let's talk about horses. Jennifer, horses. save us. What's coming up on today's show? Because Glenn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on today's Back on Track Crappulous Wednesday edition, as the opening credits roll, we've got a horse health segment featuring Q&A with Dr. Barrett from Hagger Equine, and she's going to answer some questions about lameness. And then in the middle of the show, we've got assorted horsey headlines and crazy lists filled with in the fluffy center. And the third half of the show, Horses in History visits the White House. Thank you, Jennifer. Oh my god, move on, move on. (laughs) Wasn't done. I wanna give a one of these. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. (laughs) I have to give Gina Moronic a happy birthday today. She's one of our auditors. And also a happy anniversary. I saw it was her anniversary yesterday. I think it was two years. 
years. I'm guessing at that. But uh, I saw Shahra post that on Facebook yesterday, so that's pretty cool. And we also had another one of our auditors had an anniversary yesterday. But in typical Facebook fashion, I went to look for it today. Couldn't find it. So Uh, so whoever that was. Happy anniversary. Also, we have some brand new auditors in the last two days. We have Kara, Sandy, and Michelle. Welcome to all of you. If you're not part of the auditors page yet, go to HRN Auditors on Facebook and request to request to enter the sanctum, and uh, we'll let you in. Also, uh, I think that's it. Your turn. My turn. Enough. <laughs> Okay, this is going to be a lesson for all of us. I would like to apologize to my best friend, Thor. The horse, Thor. Thor the Mustang. Not the the superhero. (laughs) No. We were just talking about Thor, and it was just confusing. I know. He needs needs no apology, (laughs) that one. But my my Mustang, Thor, I would like to give you a public apology. So I've been uh, riding him, you know, jumping him a little bit and doing some dressage with him, and just the last two rides when I would go to, and Jennifer, you can listen to this cause you'll actually have a response. Uh, like Glenn, when you go pick up the right rein, like going to the left, he was beautiful, amazing, soft, supple, pick up that left rein. He would give, and he was like forward and nice and happy. And then I pick up the right rein. And just in the last two times, my gosh, stiff, heavy, not wanting to turn bolting again, which the bolting thing was, Uh I thought was in the past, you know, I'm like, you son of a gun. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do small circles until you can be soft. And I don't know why you're running away with me and don't be bolting with me. And I'm going to, you just turn, you pick up that rain and you will give to it, you know, like that kind of thing. And the last two rides have been pretty unpleasant. I'm like, why are you running away with me again? About halfway, well, at the end of the second ride, I was I, I, like, I stopped. We we halted, and he just like <sighs> took this deep breath, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's something wrong with you, isn't there? There's something. Oh my god!" And then you like want to cry. There, like I'm like, "There's something wrong with this horse." So I had the vet out yesterday, as you know. I, just one of those things. By God, if your horse is doing something well and then all of a sudden won't do that thing, listen to your horse. They're trying to tell you something. So uh, I had him scan for acupuncture scan, which is where they kind of like check all these acu- acupuncture points and see how he is. And he was like, totally negative to everything. He was totally fine. I'm like, all right, look, check his teeth. And, you know, they're not able to really get all the way up in the back when they're just checking the teeth. But she was like, he's got a couple points. And, you know, maybe I'll I'll just get up in there and see, like, you know, I'll give him like a half floating, you know, and just, just kind of like round everything out. And because his teeth were really bad a year ago. And I, I wanted to, he needed, he was due anyway with some points. I said, okay, do that. So she sedates him. She puts his head up on the stand and... She is, she's feeling around. She's like, I don't really, I don't know what your problem is. I, I, I don't know. There's some points. Oh my God. I found your problem. And I was like, what? I stuck. She let me put my hand all the way up in Thor's mouth. And it was one of those moments where you like instantly want to cry. Running my hand up the right side of his teeth. 
there was just flat tooth, flat tooth, flat tooth spike. A part of his tooth had grown straight up and it was about the size of my thumb tip pointing straight up. Wow. Different than all of the teeth. And I, w- she goes, every time you pick up the right rein, that was jabbing him in the cheek because it was on the left side. And every time you pick up your yeah. right rein, and he had this huge sore in his gums. Oh, I'm about to cry even talking about it. I feel so bad because like, I just, I mean, it only took me two rides, but like, I should have listened to him. He does not say no. He does not complain. And this was like such a lesson to me. File that sucker down and he should be feeling a lot better. But I just wanted to publicly apologize to Thor the horse and uh, let everybody know how important it is to listen to your animal. (laughs) You know, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. What? <laughs> Only two rides. You know, my neighbor booked an appointment. She, he, my neighbor goes, hey, can I share that trip charge with you? Because uh, my horse is losing weight. I think he needs his teeth done. And I was like, yeah, sure. She'll float his teeth, too. I was like, well, when was the last time? Well, we've had him five years, and uh, we've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, two rides. I forgive myself, so was, sort of. Was but the... Like, uh, was there a tooth on the top that didn't match it or any clue as to why that one went rogue? He had she a rogue said, tooth? She's like, he's young. He hasn't had his teeth done ever except for, you know, last year. She was like, and the the ramps and the hooks are so bad on him that it just, yeah, it just kind of grew unopposed back there. And uh, yeah. it, it just, it was really bad. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. Poor and like, you have to tranquilize these- him out of curiosity. I, unlike you, do not believe in putting horses in under the stress of having their teeth floated without tranquilization. Oh. I don't want my horse well, to I have just, to I just, I thought you would have, especially with the <laughs> Mustang. But. Yeah, no, they, 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 he, he was, he was pretty drugged. I, I feel like, uh, I, I mean, I've never used your f- fair ear teeth floating guy who does it without sedation. Our, and our, I've never. teeth whisperer. Yeah, your teeth whisperer, but I've never, I mean, oh my gosh, I'd want to be sedated. Somebody's filing that thing. I want to be sedated for teeth cleaning. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We sedated Thor. Oh, by the way, Rosie chiped in and said, tell Jamie I'm glad she said that on air because I've always tried to listen to my horse even when others tell me nothing's wrong or he's just got my number. Now, in my case, I think Scooter's just got my number. So, (sighs) I'm just... (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Scooter See, has I your think number. those rules, that rule you just <laughs> said, goes out the numbers. window with ponies. I think, <laughs> I think ponies are the exception to the rule. Yeah, that could be true. <laughs> no, it just, it just that like minor amount of communication that he was, he was trying to tell me something, and I didn't. It this hurts, me, mommy. I thought you were going to tell me, me it's something rides. his back or his foot. You know, no, I, I well, that's why I did the acupuncture. I'm like, there's something going on. And I mean, initially I did think teeth and I was like, okay, it's been a year since he's been floated, but you know, some horses can go longer than a year, but his were bad or enough. Five like, you know what? <laughs> or five years. Yeah. Um, and you know what? He's probably due and, duh, 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 and, you know, and, and it just convinced myself that there was something wrong because he just like Chad said last night when I was telling him about it and I was like crying because I felt so bad. He's like, yeah, he goes, that's the kind of horse that's not going to lie to you. You know, I mean, horses don't lie in general, but he was like, he's not a complainer. So if there's all of a sudden something going on, then you 
there's you need yeah. to listen to it. And that was from my husband. It's pissed about vet bills. Scooter, <laughs> Scooter is a complainer. Ah, yeah. Yes, yeah, he's the one that cries everything, wolf. Everything is is high drama for Scooter. Oh my goodness, a fly is on my ear. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. My butt itches. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. There's a crack in my hoof. Yeah. Everything's drama. See, I Peter. think that is a problem. If you get a horse that's a that's a you know crying wolf all the time, that's when you get in trouble, right? I mean, you, you he's Thor's just the opposite of that. He doesn't cry wolf, so you were able to no, pick he's it up. Pretty, yeah, he's pretty stoic yeah. guy. So you know, there are horses. Remember, horses don't lie; they just may be over dramatic sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are drama queens. I don't know if they don't lie, but there are drama queens in the uh, horse world. Yes, yeah. I happen yeah. to own one. <laughs> I have a moral dilemma for you before we get to our first guest. And I, I found this article today in the Star Tribune, which is up in Idaho. And this was a story out of Idaho Falls. And I want all the listeners to answer this. And I, I think we all know what Jamie's answer would be. But I want, I want to tell you the whole story before you, you rush to judgment. Because I rushed to judgment when I read the article until well, I read the response. You need to just read the article I as will. it's written and then read her response. I will. The Bureau of Land Management has fined an Idaho woman who attempted to rescue an emaciated wild horse. The Post Register reports the BLM fined Cynthia Stozer... Stotzer, $275 for attempting to move the animal she encountered while riding her horse in Utah in April. Uh, Stotzer said she felt compelled to follow her heart, so she loaded the Mustang into her horse trailer and took it to the Best Friends Animal Society. Uh, BLM took the horse back the next day and brought it to its ranch in Utah. Idaho BLM Wild Horse and Burrow lead Chris Robbins says the agency typically sends a veterinarian to examine a sick animal in its natural environment. He said removing an animal is dangerous and could interfere with the ecosystem. Now, the lady responded to the article and said, I'm sorry the rewriting of this story made it so watered down that it lost its sight, lost sight of its most compelling aspects. It was a very small horse, severely emaciated, right off the interstate in a heavily camped in area, which it had been begging from people. It, it attempted to get into the back of my truck to get water. Horse people had been camping there and had left hay, thus habituating it. I tried to call the BLM for days, but finally decided as the weekend approached to put the horse in my trailer and take it to the biggest and arguably the best animal sanctuary in the country. There was nothing whatsoever dangerous about this particular very passive weak horse. I understand the Idaho BLM spokesman's larger concerns, but he had no knowledge of this specific case. The BLM also came and moved this horse despite its acceptance at the sanctuary and the pleas of the staff to leave her there until at least she was at least strong enough to travel. And guess what? The BLM itself engages in removing starving horses from their range. Last summer, they removed 30 starving horses from Nevada to that same facility, overcrowded with 170 horses on the barren plain. There's a lot more to talk about here than the simplistic way it's being presented. So now that you got both sides of the story, what would you have done? You called well, the BLM. They did not respond. They didn't care. Reading it again, uh, she called the BLM for days, but she was probably probably there on a weekend, you know, and, and calling the office. She got there Friday, saw it on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So calling the BLM during the weekend probably not the, that's the only that's the only argument for the BLM All right, let's have. say she did get a hold of them and they just weren't coming out you called and called and called and they weren't coming out 
For the sake of this, just to, to what would you do, moral dilemma? Well, I think I think we would have done what all of us would have done. You got an emaciated horse that's starving right off the interstate. Um, yeah, we're gonna all of it. If a BLM wild horse is willing to jump in into trailer? my trailer, I know that's what I was thinking. Like that's where I was like, this girl probably just changed it up into the trailer. No, it's not. I'm like. How do you? How does one get a wild horse to jump into a tiny black box? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's hungry, and it's she didn't really take hungry. it home either. She brought it to the rescue, which I think was the right move on her part. Um, she brought it to the rescue, and then you know, rescue was willing to take care of it. And obviously, somebody notified the BLM after she did. Or that's parts missing in the story. Somebody notified them that the horse was there. Either the rescue did, or she did. Uh, you know, and I understand that, you know, they're looking at it as a government agency. We can't let people do this. So we can't, you know, we can't let the rescue even keep this horse. We have to take it back, put it with the rest of the horses. I mean, I get all that. Uh, but, you know, it is a moral dilemma. I think, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. Jennifer might have uh, done the same thing. I, I don't know if I would have called a couple more days or if I would have just done it. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I probably would have just done it. Especially, you know what? I mean, calling the BLM was not the right answer. Calling a animal control place was was probably a better answer. You know what I mean? Right. So that might have been, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think the, the, and the fact that the animal had been habituated to human contact and had learned to become dependent upon um, food and water, at least to some degree, it was unlikely that that horse was going to figure it out. I mean, you know, it's just. I, I think I would have done the same thing. I think so. Yeah. I, all of us would have. Yeah. We would all put that, you know, uh, if you can't get some, if nobody's going to help, I'm going to help. Yeah. Right. Because it still comes down to, you know, the animal needs to be uh, helped. <laughs> That's what it's come down to, right? I mean, the bottom mm-hmm. line is the animals still need to be helped. So there mm-hmm. you go. Well, I, I just thought that was an interesting article and an interesting dilemma. Uh, to be put in front of somebody who probably didn't want that dilemma that weekend. She probably didn't need that in her life that weekend. No, and yeah. now she's got a $275 fine and her heart hurts because she just watched this little horse she saved be trucked off to a holding facility to stand in the dang sun or snow up in Idaho Falls and nothing she can do about it. Yeah. That sucks. I want to adopt it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have brought this story up because I knew that would be the next thing. I'm going to make another trip to Idaho Falls and come back with a poopy. (laughs) That's funny. Well, let's uh, hear from our sponsor uh, back on track about their hawk boots. And then we're coming back with the horse health report. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about lameness today. I'm Emily Reynolds, a professional mounted shooter from Western New York, and I'm here today to talk to you about Back on Track Hawk Boots. This is my 21-year-old gelding that keeps up with the ladies' fours in cowboy-mounted shooting, and it's thanks to Back on Track Hawk Boots keeping him sound and happy. The Back on Track therapeutic hawk boots have a durable neoprene outer shell and ceramic-infused material on the inside called Weltex. This material in the hawk boot reflects the horse's body warmth to help stimulate blood circulation. The increased blood circulation may help to alleviate swelling and soreness, making the hock joint move more freely. 
By increasing circulation and decreasing inflammation, your horse's hock joints will be able to move more freely and without pain. The boot fastens around the hock but leaves the hock point uncovered. The attached Velcro straps allow you to adjust the boot's fit. We use them before and after exercise. Back on track, therapeutic comfort at its best. Ask for it by name. And it's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report. When our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. And we welcome to the show this morning, Dr. Liz Barrett. And Dr. Barrett is, she's one of those Canadians from Prince Edward Island. Uh, she, <laughs> we have a lot of Canadian listeners, Dr. Barrett. And uh, we've, you Good. finished your um, internship at Haggard in 2009, but you've pretty much been doing sport horse stuff since, I think you did a surgical residency at Auburn, right? And then now you're in the sport horse team at Haggard's. Yeah, yeah, I do mostly mostly lameness work uh, in in sport horses, show horses, and then I uh, stay up all night doing emergency surgeries. <laughs> oh my gosh! You have nothing better to do, no life. So I <laughs> the best in both worlds. Yeah, I'll work all day, work all exactly. night. Why not? Oh my gosh! Well, I th I think if I'd ever wanted, if I had ever been a vet, I would have wanted to do exactly what you're doing, minus the surgical part. But the sport horse stuff is so cool, and what a great place to have that opportunity. I mean, Kentucky. Would you say that uh, you deal more with race horses or performance horses, like show horses? Oh, probably ninety percent performance horses, show horses. Really? And the cool thing about Kentucky is that horses come from everywhere, all over the world. Um, you know, that ship in to show at either, you know, the big, whatever big event we have over at the horse park, um, or even, you know, some of the local shows that are probably smaller and more regular for us are still pretty big for people from all over North America. So. Well, that's awesome. Well, no shortage of uh, ways to practice. So I, I wanted to start out with just asking you, as far as lameness goes, what are some of the most common causes of lameness? Uh, in, in vet school, probably the first thing they teach you is, you know, 70% of, of lameness comes from a horse's forelimb. And of that, the majority of them are, are down in the foot. Um, so the old saying, no foot, no horse, um, has a lot of truth to it. So some of the, so we've got mostly the front leg, usually in the foot, huh? And what are some of those, yeah, what are some of the lamenesses you would see up there? Oh, it can be as basic as just foot soreness. So, um, you know, our, our horses are kept in unnatural conditions and they're not just trucking around out in the plains all day, um, which would normally kind of strengthen their foot and strengthen their sole um, because we keep them, you know, inside a lot of times or in much smaller paddocks. Their feet can just get soft. So they get mm -hmm. bruises. Um, their, their feet don't hold up when we go to ride them. So that's why, you know, we've developed the whole trade of farrier and, and, and horseshoeing. Um, so that's probably one of the most common. Uh, and then I'm sure everyone's heard of navicular syndrome or mm -hmm. caudal heel pain is kind of the, the in vogue term we use now. And 
there's hundreds of different things that that can involve, a bunch of different soft tissue structures back there, the navicular bone itself, um, the coffin joint, navicular bursa, um, so all ki- kinds of things that can that can happen there. And then just sort of basic, you know, foot abscess, mm-hmm. things like that are, are definitely the most common things that we see. Now, you mentioned abscesses. I know that those are very, very common and very dramatic. What What are some ways to prevent an abscess or can you prevent it? Is it just bad luck? Yeah. I think it's like colic. I'd be a millionaire if I knew how to <laughs> prevent, prevent those. Um, you know, obviously just keeping good husbandry can help, you know, but I don't want to say that people who don't pick out the horse's feet, they'll get abscesses because that's not the case at all. But that's certainly how you can reduce the risk of them, um, keeping them their feet dry uh, in appropriate conditions like that. Yes, keeping their, their feet picked out, keeping them trimmed. You know, when they get too long, that puts uh, extra pressure points so they can get bruising and that can lead to abscesses. Um, even um, horses that, that are, have metabolic syndrome, so that are overweight, they have changes in their feet that make them a little bit more susceptible to getting abscesses and things like that. Um, so just just maintaining basic health is a is a good place to start anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I'm sure that you probably do a lot of pre-purchase exams in, in, yeah. in your practice. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of them. Okay, so what are some of the worst issues that you can see or have seen in a pre-purchase exam? Because I have a follow-up question too, so we'll start okay. with that one. Um, pre-purchase exams can either be, you know, one of the most satisfying part of your job because you know you look at a horse for a client of yours, and then it's a partner for them that they get to keep, and then you get to follow for the, you know, duration of their. Um, relationship together in their career and those are kind of my favorite ones or they can be stressful situations for the veterinarian <laughs> um, depending on, on on what the horse showed um can you i got a question can you tell the minute you walk in and you start finding the little things and you can you tell the owners you know five ten minutes into it it's just not going to listen to me no matter what i say not the owner, the prospective buyer is just so in love with this horse that they're not going to listen to what you say, no matter what you say. Yes. Yeah, yes. I thought so. And then I just, <laughs> I just write, I just very carefully write down everything I said so that six months from now they can remember what it was that I said. Yeah, told when they them. come back to you and say, this um, horse is lame. You didn't tell me the horse was going to be lame because they never heard that part. Yeah, I Glenn, <laughs> I thought you were going to ask 10 minutes in if you know that the seller knows that all these issues are well, there. Well, there's another good question. Can you tell when the seller knows and they're just pulling one over? Um, some people are not as good actors as other people. That yes, would be the answer to that. <laughs> wow, I had cases. no idea that he was fully rotated in the right front. Like, I, I had no idea. It's weird. I had no idea. Um, he just had colic surgery. You, don't yeah. forget those stitches. They're nothing. There's nothing. Uh, well, the, the thing about horses, too, is that, like, like me, if I'm walking around, I'm probably a little bit lame on a good day, but I can still perform the duties that I need to do, no problem. And there's a lot of horses that go out and do their jobs for their owners happy and willingly. Uh, But when you come and look at them with a fine tooth comb, they have problems. And for those owners, you know, I, I understand why they don't know because they're using the horse and the horse is fine. But when I look at it and, and assess it, there are issues there that I obviously have to present to a future buyer. 
And if it's a risk they don't want to take, then, you know, a lot of times they'll walk away from, from a horse that's working and, and being used fine, but they want to make sure it's going to be a long-term um horse for them. Oh, so, so, well, so that those, are to, those are the toughest situations for that me. That leads to another question. Are there statistics on how many horses actually pass pre-purchase exams? <laughs> there probably are. There are certainly statistics on, um, there's a really cool machine that was invented not too long ago. I think, I don't know if I talked about it before, called the lameness locator. And you put uh, three sensors on the horse, one on their head, one on the rump, and one on their right forelimb. Um, and it tells you if the horse is um, sound or, or lame and what limb it's lame on. It doesn't tell you what part of the limb or anything like that. Um, and so there's studies that they've done where they just looked at a bunch of normal horses that were competing and doing fine. And to be honest, I don't remember the exact numbers, but there's a, there's certainly a, a large number of them that, that have a, a lameness that would be picked up by this machine, but the horse is still competing and I guess you'd say serviceably sound. Well, that's the same well, with humans, right? I mean, there's a large percentage of us are lame in one form or another, uh, mentally or physically. No. Watch me stand up after for sitting sure. down for a little while. <laughs> Be like, oh, she, she would fail a pre-purchase in a minute. It's interesting because... I would, we, I would for sure. <laughs> we had a pre-purchase done here at the farm yesterday, and I'll, I'll talk more about that coming up. But that, that was why I was asking some of the worst issues you will see, because I wanted to ask, what are some of the most forgivable issues or treatable issues that you have seen in a pre-purchase? Uh, I guess... For me, for forgivable issues are are ones that the potential buyer has dealt with before or can deal with and doesn't mind. And a horse that's already performing and competing at a level that, say, the future buyer wants to be able to compete at. Mm-hmm. So if I have a really nice children amateur hunter, they go around three foot six, they win all their classes, but I know it has a little bit of, um, say, arthritis in its distal hawk joints. The people you know, that are selling the horse are open about this. They say, this is what we've dealt with. This is how we've dealt with it. Um, I haven't had an issue. And if the radiographs that I take kind of correlate and make sense with what they're saying, then I tell that to the potential buyer. Look, they've been upfront. This is what they've done. They've managed it. This is a perfect horse for you to, you know, move up to this level on. And, and, and it's issues like that that I'm happy to deal with. Okay. Issues that I'm not happy to deal with is, you know, say it's a young horse and I x-ray it and it has like a cyst that is in the joint. Those are things that can kind of explode one day. They're not an issue until they're an issue. And then when they are an issue, the horse can't be ridden. It's a real problem. Right, um, right, right. And so that, that's something that you can't, you can't waver on. You can't say, let's, this is something you can deal with. Gotcha. Gotcha. So can you, uh, a lot of times we'll hear the vets go, oh, he's grade one, grade two, lame, grade three. What, what are those, what do those mean? Yeah. Uh, There's a, an association, the American Association of Equine Practitioners um, that has a basically made a scale to grade lameness. There's actually a couple of them. There's one that they commonly use in Europe. That's quite a bit more detailed, has quite a bit more numbers, but I like to keep it simple. So I use the AAP one that's out of five. Um, it's probably easier to start at a, a grade five out of five lameness is like a broken limb or a foot abscess. So they, they don't put any weight on the, on the leg. So non-weight bearing um, is the five. Four, that's a five. It's the worst, worst possible one. And then a four is obvious at a walk. So they can put weight on it, but, um, even at a walk, you can tell that they're, that they're, that they're quite lame and trying to, to get off of it. Um, a grade three is, 
you have to trot the horse. So you don't see that a walk, but as soon as you trot it, even in a straight line, you can see that, say, they have a head bob or um, their hip is dropping um, or, they're, or they're short striding, something like that. And then a grade two, um, it's, it's, you can see it at a trot, but you have to do something like lunge them or put a rider on them or turn them to the right um, to be able to see the lameness. It's not obvious in just a straight line. And like I would probably be somewhere between a grade two and a grade three lame most of the time. <laughs> we won't put you in a circle. We won't <laughs> lunge you, Dr. Barry. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't make me carry anybody around. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, and then a grade one um, is kind of sometimes every once in a while you might see it. It's really inconsistent. Um, probably only at a trot or maybe at a canter after they land after a fence, they swap leads behind or something like that. That's a grade one lameness. Um, and then a, a zero is, is no observable lameness. And, and honestly, there's a lot of horses that are competing and going around doing just fine that someone might say has a grade one out of five lameness in a leg. Um, okay. But they compensate for it and they look just, just fine going around. Okay. Wonderful. Well, th- see, uh, yeah, I think I'm a grade two. What, what about what about you, Glenn? What grade are you? Um, what was the highest again? <laughs> <You're with Barry. laughs> uh, last question before we let you go, uh, Dr. Barrett, is, you know, one of the most common hoof things that we tend to see is thrush. Now, I, I know we had a listener question wanting to know if thrush can cause a horse to be lame. Um, for th- thrush to cause a horse to be lame, it has to be pretty severe. Um, so okay. if I see a sort of a mild lameness and I notice the thrush, then definitely I'll treat that. And I always treat it if I see it because if it gets to a point, a really bad point, then it can, can cause a lameness and then it's very difficult to clear. Um, but most times if I, if I see a pretty lame horse and just a mild case of thrush, I'm going to be looking for something else. What to, do you, tr- what do you treat it with? Thrush. Uh, so environment for sure. Someone needs to pick that out, pick those feet out every day, maybe twice a day. Okay. Um, the bedding needs to be, you know, if it's in a stall and it's standing on wet bedding or if it's outside and it's been raining, it needs to come in and be in dry conditions. And then there's all kinds of over, over the counter um, thrush buster, things like that. That um, Okay. No magic know, thing. Like basically, gotcha. What I've seen at the store, you're not like inve- reinventing the wheel. You're saying like thrush buster. Yeah. Copper yeah, and like the you know, obviously if it's if it's kind of nasty enough, a farrier can clean it up quite a bit for you, or, or the vet can you know get a hoof knife and 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 clean out a bunch of it and then start treating it. Yeah, wonderful. See, we have the thing down here in Florida. We got scratches we deal with, and also white line. Mm. And uh, mm. actually, my pony has both because four white legs, of course, and uh, has one yeah. hoof with the uh, with the white line. And Jennifer's dealing with those, but they, scratches are pretty easy to handle. We use Doctor Rose's remedies on those, and it works pretty well. Uh, but boy, it's something that you know when you're wet as we are, you you have things that we didn't have when we lived in the north. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. We see a lot of horses that come back from the show season in Florida. We do get scratches here because we have a very wet spring for sure, but um, a lot of horses that come back from Florida with with um, with some issues for scratches. Haggard's has a great product to, to treat those as well. <laughs> oh, there you go. Cool. Well, if your horse has scratches, Haggard.com is where you need to go to find <laughs> out more. Uh, Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for joining us and, and giving us a breakdown on lameness. We, I, I know it's a big part of your day and you probably don't want to talk about it any extra. So (laughs) we do appreciate it. 
<laughs> well, we already determined I she didn't it. have That's a life, so why not just talk to us? I mean, uh, we, we already. <laughs> I didn't say that. He said that. <laughs> it's Haggard.com. H A G Y A R D. Thanks a bunch. Um, thank Bye. you. Okay. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye. Glenn, don't be rude to the vet. <laughs> nice enough to come on here. You don't have a life. <laughs> well, she's the one that said it. I didn't. I feel bad for her. I was feeling bad for her. It's like, jeesh. My gosh. I when know. you sleep, I just, that was, I was like, who needs a life when you just need sleep? <laughs> well, right, let's I'd hear be- more about Haggard and then yeah. uh, uh, we'll be back uh, with more. We got to hear, uh, we got to hear, well, we got to hear from you about that situation you just mentioned. And also, we have a little bit of history for you today. We have some news, some lists, all kinds of things going on. Haggard Equine Medical Institute in Lexington, Kentucky, and Wellington, Florida, has been treating racehorses, sport horses, and beloved pasture ornaments for 140 years. With some 30 ambulatory doctors, 24-hour emergency care, full surgical suite, dedicated sport horse facility, wide range of proven therapies, and full-service pharmacy, Haggard offers everything your horse needs for the proper diagnosis and best treatment. Visit Haggard.com for more information, or you can call them at 859-255-8741. Follow Haggard Equine Medical Institute on Facebook or on Twitter at Haggard and receive health alerts and the latest information on keeping your horse healthy and happy.
Baby, you're no good programming that the Horse Radio Network offers and have chosen to support them through a monthly contribution. If you enjoy listening to any of the Horse Radio Network shows, won't you join us as a member of the HRN Auditor family? You can do it for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to horseradionetwork.com and click on the HRN Auditor banner. And don't forget, as an auditor, we get the blooper reel. Well, that was Templeton Thompson. You can find all of her music at templetonthompson.com. Well, we are brought to you today by Back on Track Products, and you can find all of their great products at backontrackproducts.com. You're listening to Horses in the Morning. I'm Glenda Geek here with Jamie Jennings and Coach Jen. And if you listened on Monday, you'll know that Jamie was shopping for a horse for one of her clients and found one, and they were having it on trial. Any update on that? So, you know, horse sellers, I get a text, this girl, she's 14. The horse is just wonderful. She loves him. And um, I get a call, a text from the seller. Hey, I know this is weird, but like, you know, uh, I just got a call from the person that tried him last week and they want to buy him. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Well, so, that's great. So the horse is at your client's house. It's at my house. Oh, it's at your it's house. It's at my house on trial. And this girl calls me and says uh, that the people from last week want to buy it. And I was like, okay. She was, I just feel like this is an awkward situation I've been put in. And I yeah, was a like, what? <laughs> I said, why? I said, <laughs> you know, and going back on this, rethinking it in my brain, it's a little different. But she's, this woman is an attorney uh, uh, that is educated and smart and an educated attorney woman who owns the horse. So I said to her, I go, I, 
I said, I understand that you want to get the horse sold, but I also feel like I shouldn't have to give you a lesson in integrity. And realizing she's a lawyer, I probably needed to, but like (laughs) integrity would tell you that you've promised this horse for a week to a 14 year old girl. And you need to go back to those, you know, like, what are you going to do? Come get him? You know, you can't do that. Your name will be mud around here. Who you think you're kidding? So anyway, I, I said, I'll try to speed up the uh, week of trying, but I feel like, you know, you made a promise and you need to stick with it. So well, that's a tough one because as the seller, let me take play devil's advocate here for a minute. Um, in her position as a seller, you take the money when, you know, when somebody offers you the money, you take the money. Well, you should have taken it. You know, you shouldn't have sent it out on trial. Well, see, that was a mistake she made. If she knew that these other people were ready to make a commitment, or maybe they just said no to her and changed their mind. We don't know what that story was. That seems to be like what happened. But I was like, it doesn't matter. I understand you want to sell, but you have. Okay, so let's. This is another. I love these moral dilemmas today. I know. Uh, So now let's put, let's switch the shoes. You have the horse. Uh, you showed it to me, and I said no. I took it in trial or whatever, and then I said no. Then you're going to move on and show it to somebody else. But I come back and say, okay, I can give you cash tomorrow. But Or you have to wait another week for a maybe. Uh, you know, what do you do? There's no, that's not a moral dilemma. That's, I mean, that's just keeping your word. Like, that's just integrity. I I told them they, I would call the people and say, Hey, can we speed this trial up? Can you not make it a whole week? But I might, that's what I would do. But I, I gave the horse to a 14 year old girl to try. I can't just take it. What am I to show up with my trailer and rip it out from under a 14 year old? I don't think so. That would not, that's not me. But anyway, I think I would have, I think I would have being the salesman, I would have tried to play them off each other a little bit. But, <laughs> but I also would have said to the people that saw him previously, they called and said they wanted to buy him. I would have said he's out on trial. I'll know in four days. That's, uh, the, that's the obvious, easy thing to say. Yeah. And she so. might have said that. And the people said, well, I need to know. You know, they might have played hardball then, too. Everybody playing chicken makes this situation even worse. Well, I just don't think there's any way around it. But anyway, so what we did is she's ridden the horse three times. And I just said, I actually had because I had the vet coming out yesterday. I said, why don't we do a little minor pre-purchase? We already had a pre-purchase. That those people had done a pre-purchase on it and kind of like hemmed and hawed. And so we had the pre-purchase. We had all the x-rays. We had everything. So we just wanted to get a little bit of a lameness exam. And this is where um, asking about the pre-purchase is kind of what's forgivable or not, the horse has been in hard work five to six days a week for nine months. Um, and it had a little bit of a blemish on the hawk. So my thing was like, okay, how bad is the blemish on the hawk? And is it easily treatable? And, you know, I can't, I can't guarantee it's not going to pop up, but I also can't guarantee what, what I what I see is a horse that's currently in full work, more work than it will be in with this girl, and he's not lame. So right. that's why I was asking what's kind of forgivable. And, and let's face it, every horse they look at, they find something. There's always something. <laughs> something. I mean, there's no horse. That, they don't even issue pass-fails anymore in no. pre-purchases. It's, these because are the things it's things wrong. You yep. decide if you can live with that. Yep, exactly. So we decided we could live with it because the horse is in full work and... Um, here's the other part of it. So she, they buy the horse. They're so excited. And, you know, they would talked about sending it to me for training and I, you know, I'm out there with the girl and, and she's 
an advanced beginner with a 16 two-hand thoroughbred, sending it to a trainer is not going to, is not their answer. I, I, you know, I just said, if you send this horse to a trainer, be it me or anybody, that's not going to help your daughter. So you've got a, you've got a, a trained horse that your daughter can't ride. I said, but sending your horse back to that Western barn where she's the only one that sits in an English saddle kind of scares me too, because she doesn't know how to ride him. So I said, here's the deal. Board the horse here for a couple months. I ride at 6 a.m. every morning. A Monday, not Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I ride at 6 a.m. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. I was like, show up at 6 and we'll ride together every morning. See, that is the solution. So many times we're sending horses off to the trainers because the people, it's exactly what you talk about. Oh, these moral dilemmas again. It's the people that can't ride that are the problem. The horse can, is trained. The yeah, people can't yeah. ride that horse. Sending the horse off is not solving the problem, although it makes a lot of trainers wealthy. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I, you could you could send this horse to me for three months and I'll jump it around a three-foot course. But that's not going to help the girl who no, does And you're going to give them back the same trained horse that they still can't ride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. So <laughs> I, I felt like I had come up well, with a, a pretty good solution. That was a good solution, actually. Now, whether a teenager 14 wants to get up at 6 a.m. is another question. <laughs> well, apparently she has no issues with it because her mother said she will be doing it. <laughs> We're going to buy you this damn horse. You're going to get up in the morning and ride it because I'm not riding post 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, right now, what I'll do as soon as our show's over is I'll run out there and try to ride since Chad's home and I'll sweat and I won't be able to do much and I'll probably just end up going on a trail ride but uh on tuesday thursday saturday and sunday that's when i'm like whoever wants a lesson you just show up on your horse at 6 a.m you know the other thing you got where you live after having now been there being been there last year is we have the advantage of even when we go out uh, through the neighborhood and ride along the roads through the neighborhood we have tons of trees so half our ride or three quarters of our ride depending on the route we take is in shade yeah. You just don't have any nice. shade. There's just no What's shade. That like? <laughs> that's a that's the worst part Not about Arizona. It's 117 and sunny. There's no shade. <laughs> There's no shade. There's no clouds. It's just brown desert everywhere. And so when you are trail riding, I mean, you're wearing those big visors and the hat and the sunglasses and sunscreen. You're slathered up, and then you're oh, sweating. And you're going to want to listen to this stable scoop coming up because we had a lady who's kind of an expert on sunscreen and the ones to use. And <gasps> she, she even uh, names the chemicals that are in the ones that you shouldn't use uh, yeah. and the ones that you should use. And that's all coming up at this week's stable scoop. So I um, buy sunscreen from Trader Joe's. I feel like they're safe, <laughs> but I will but, listen to uh, that. Not necessarily, because she said even the the uh, the health food stores and the whole food stores are selling sunscreen that have these ingredients that shouldn't be in it. So, gosh, you know, what? I woke up one morning and I realized, like, before I even start my day, I've ingested a massive amount of chemicals between putting on deodorant, brushing my teeth, and putting on sunscreen. I'm like, oh my God, I'm poisoning and myself. You know what? Every- we add an additional poison to that here, and that's bug spray because oh, <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so no you, wonder cancer I, rates I are I often the- wondered, should I put the bug spray on first and the sunscreen over the bug spray, or do you put the sunscreen on first <laughs> and then the bug spray over that? That I know. There's another moral dilemma for the day. I I don't know which is right. I don't know. You know what we should do? We should call Ray Parker Jr. 
get him on the show and let's find um, out what he's doing and what he thinks about. Yeah. So we should just get his opinion. We'll just oh, we call need to Ray. get him on the show Quickly. now that we've done all this. Ray probably hasn't been asked to be on a ra- And I don't think he's doing the song for the n- new movie. Uh, I know. Right, Jennifer, reach out to Ray Parker. Find well, he's he's probably free. So we'll do uh, no problem. Yeah, okay. And also, if you could talk to talk to Thor, get him on the show too. (laughs) See what you can do about Thor. Hey, uh, we got still have a race. Any new news on this race? Nobody cares about Saturday. Oh my gosh! I just I just saw this news story, and you're gonna die. It's it's. I think I think this news story is karma at its best. I know the one. Go ahead. Apparently, after the derby, a bunch of jerk face ticket buyers buy tons of Belmont tickets because if they buy the Belmont tickets and and then they scalp them if there is a potential for a triple crown. Uh, Well, I don't feel sorry for these people at all because I'm tired of overpaying for concert tickets or baseball. You can't buy a concert ticket anymore. Without no, going through a third party. Well, we'll talk later about what I did at concert tickets for Coldplay. Oh, it hurt. Um, anyway, so we'll get to that in August when, I, <laughs> when the show is. All right. So uh, it says, despite one of the best racing cards of the year on tap for Saturday at Belmont, those who purchased tickets before the Preakness, hoping to see demand soar with Nyquist attempting a triple crown sweep have instead been forced to offer their tickets at discounts far below face value. Oh, I feel so bad for them. As of Tuesday afternoon, 3,700 Belmont Saturday tickets were still available on StubHub.com. The $500 tickets, they were sold for $500 before the Preakness, are now being offered for $264. And they might not even actually sell them because apparently these are ones that have to be mailed to you. So they had to sell them by like today to even get them in the mail. Um, the situation appears. First of all, let's start with I would not pay five hundred dollars to go see to go see the uh, Belmont. I mean, or, uh, le- le- w- people have different money. Glenn. I guess you know that's the thing. So apparently the people that are selling on eBay as well have no bids or very low bids and they've been posting in their Belmont tickets for sale. This is the, this is one of them. This is where the cheering reaches a crescendo. Somebody is <laughs> saying about their seats. Another desperate soul offering up garden terrace spots is trying to lure potential buyers with the opportunity to quote, go watch Nyquist for the triple crown in style. But like, he's not running in it. And then another one says, this ticket comes, (laughs) this ticket comes complete with access to bedding windows and restrooms for the day. <laughs> so some tickets don't get restrooms. Is that what I'm hearing? You have to wear uh, diapers. No, no, I'm pretty sure all tickets get restrooms and bedding windows. Okay, uh, <laughs> so pay these poor people that tried to rob you uh, and make a buck are they're getting a taste of their own medicine, and I don't feel bad about it at all. Unless one of our listeners is bought their ticket and wanted to go and then now can't. So okay, if that's I, I just case, pulled I... up eBay. You want to hear some of the prices on some of the tickets? Uh, $3.25 for four. 
What? Uh, and that ends that ends today, that auction. Um, let's see here. No bids, no bids, no bids. Um, I cannot find another one that actually has any bids. <laughs> I can't find any other of the tickets that have any bids. No, there's no... <laughs> There's no bids. <laughs> Sorry, you're out your money. Yeah, you're screwed. I so I am right. It's the race that nobody cares about, pretty much, is what we're talking about. Well, I about. just find it amazing that, yeah, I mean, it kind of is. But, I mean, I'm excited about it because I want to see if Exaggerator can go a mile and a half. Like, I'm excited, but I... <laughs> Would I, you pay $500 to see that, though? Uh, TV is I, so nice. It's at home. I paid you your snacks. You, I paid a lot of money to see Coldplay, and they're going to play for hours, <laughs> <laughs> not two minutes. That's right. Two and a half. That's right minutes now, why really. anybody still pays to see Coldplay is beyond me. But uh, well, we'll talk about that some before. of us do, and some of us <laughs> paid more than five hundred a ticket. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Does your husband know that? Does he actually go? Is he actually going? The, our wedding song was to Coldplay. Fix you. So he we, has to go. We, we both. Words, we both required. love Coldplay so much, and I had free tickets to go see Coldplay back in two thousand nine, the last time they were in Phoenix. And no, it was the it was the day after Thanksgiving, and he had to go to his family's place for Thanksgiving, and we missed Coldplay, and they haven't been back on tour since two thousand nine. Oh, he's paying for that now. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's paying for it. I'm like, we had to go to your mother's house instead of go see the band. We ended up getting married to their song, and it's both of our favorite bands in the entire planet. And how dare you make me go to your family's? And we drove to Oklahoma. Really, Oklahoma to Phoenix? That's long drive i'm like mm-hmm. they're back in town and um pre-sale tickets are 624 dollars a piece and he was like <laughs> where are you okay. sitting on the stage pretty much and we got good, we got really good. <laughs> like chris martin if he walks by he's gonna sweat on me i honest <laughs> to god don't think i've i know we've been at a lot of concerts over the years not not recently no though. this is not at all i would Never do this, but Coldplay does not do US. Yeah, I don't think we've ever paid over 125 a ticket. No, nobody. I. But you know what I thought of is that I have been to so many concerts and stood on the stage of so many concerts because of my radio career previous when I used to go to concerts for free that I figured this evens out. All of those tickets I would have bought. <laughs> yeah, whatever, however you have to justify it, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's painful. It hurt. And Chad's like, you don't understand. We can't spend that kind of money. This is my first year as an airline pilot. We're making like one-fourth the income. That, and I was like, I know. I'm sorry that Coldplay decided to come in concert this year, but you're paying for it. I told you. <laughs> I told you the next time they come, I'm getting where Chris Martin will you start know, on. There is a major difference. And now we're totally off topic. But there is a major difference between males and females, men and women, is is women can hold a grudge for a hell of a lot longer than a guy oh, ever. Oh. Women will hold a grudge for 20 years. Guys just beat the crap out of each other, and, and a week later, they're fine. And they've forgotten about it because they went through the effort to beat the crap out of each other. It's over. You guys will hold a grudge forever. I it's mean, been eight ever. Years you never I, forget. Every, every time a new Coldplay album comes out and they don't tour the U.S., I'm like, remember that time? That we had free tickets to go see Coldplay and we didn't go because we went to your mother's house. Are all yeah. women that way? It seems to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? He'll remember when he gets that $1,300 bill in his credit card because I used his God. credit card. <laughs> $1,300. You could have bought another horse with that. 
I realize that, but it's not the point. You know, I know, they I know have, it's they stupid. Have, you know, I songs really on can't. iTunes, you download it's them 99 cents. So you could have gotten their entire catalog for 49 bucks. Oh my God. I know. It's really, as, as I'm talking about it, I'm sweating. But you know that, what? Actually. Like, we, it's here. like a VIP access and we get like a free poster and everything. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, that's, that's terrific. Which, which your son will take a Sharpie and mark up in about 10 minutes. Well, we have two because we have two <laughs> VIP tickets, so he can draw on one. Nah, I gotta pay a I want to be drinking beer with Coldplay after the show if I'm paying that kind of money. I was like, does a $600 ticket, do I get to make out with Chris Martin? Does my husband get to make out with Chris Martin? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's move on. Let's not talk about it. I'm actually sweating right now. <laughs> one news story here, and then I have a... I wasn't even going to tell you about this. <laughs> Oh, man. One news story here uh, before we go on to a segment I put together uh, on on horses and history. And that is, and this is for all our Canadian listeners, a little Canadian story, Captain Canada, who is Ian Miller, who has the record for being the most number of times at an Olympics in 2012. He hit his 10th time at an Olympics. This Olympics in Rio was supposed to be number 11, but his horse has come up lame. Um, and the horse that he definitely had, uh, designated for this was a mount named Dixon and underwent a pair of sinus surgeries uh, since March and won't be able to compete in Rio. He said he's definitely out. He has uh, only two months now to come up with another horse. He has another solid mount, but will need to do really, really well at the shows coming up at Spruce Meadows to be even considered for the team. So 10 Olympics in a row, and he might miss number 11 because of a horse. He doesn't have a horse. Oh, my gosh. Uh, how heartbreaking is that? He said, well, he'll be back in 2020 in Tokyo then for his 11th. How old is he now? 69. And he's like, ah, I'll just catch the next one. Just catch the next one. He's going to break. Not only will he have the record for the most Olympics, he's going to break that Japanese guy's record for the oldest in the Olympics if he comes next time. You know, he'll be right up there. It would be because the Japanese guy, I think, was 72. So he's going to be right in that league of being the oldest and the most number of Olympics. But think about that. You've been to 11 Olympics. That nobody, I mean, you got to be in what? Archery or shooting to even compete with that. There's no That's other amazing. sport you're going to be that old. That's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, pretty sad for him, but uh, pretty cool that he's still out there doing it and still thinking about uh, 2020. And maybe he'll pick up a horse. You never know. He might pick up a horse before then, too. I'm yeah. sure they want him there. Somebody's going to give him a horse. Here, exactly. just take mine. <laughs> well, we had I had an opportunity. No Victoria today. She is out uh, covering other events for horseandcountry.tv. And I, you know, I I love doing the horses and history segments. And we already played this on a staple scoop. So if you heard it before, then then we'll talk to you again on Friday. Send your uh, really bad ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. But we, I, I love doing these segments, but they take a lot of time to prepare. And that's why we don't do more of them than we do. But I wanted to do one. And I try and find the horses that you don't hear much about. And, you know, a lot of times you, you can cover old race horses, and there's been a lot written and a lot talked about with them. But I try and find things to talk about that ha you haven't heard a lot. And one of them 
Uh, the one I'm going to play for you today that we did on Stable Scoop with Lena was a horse named Old Bob. So let's take a listen and learn about Old Bob. Well, let's get into our Horses in History segment. We're going back in time a little bit. Do you know a horse named Old Bob? I have heard of Old Bob. Well, you're going to hear a lot more about Old Bob. Old Bob uh, was a horse that lived back in the 1860s, and he happened to be owned and was the family horse of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, now, Abraham Lincoln was a big animal lover, you know. Yes, we're going to talk about that, too. I have a little bit about his other animals. Okay. Uh, Lincoln owned several horses, apparently not all at once. Uh, of course, you know, that's how you got around. So uh, he owned uh, Tom, Bell, Old Buck, and it was a reddish-brown horse named Robin, who they reddish called brown. Old Bob. Old Bob, was, was real name was Robin, apparently. As West as historians can tell, he was probably a standard bred. Yeah. That's what they kind of guess he was. Santa Breds were very popular back then because they were at a smooth gait and it was easy to ride. Um, and they're awesome in general. Right, exactly. And they had, there were a ton of them back then. Gated horses were very popular during that time. Well, they had to cover a lot of territory. Uh, yes. And, and of course, Lincoln, before he became president, was a lawyer. And he used old Bob to get around back in Illinois and in Indiana. He was using old Bob. And when he became president, he left old Bob in Springfield, Illinois. He left him back home. Uh, and Lincoln went on to, you know, be president for a while. And old Bob was just back, back at the house. He was in his teens then. Well, he brought old Bob to D.C. in April, on April 9th of 1865, old Bob starred in the Union's victory parade after Lee surrendered. So after the surrender, the, these dates are important, on April 9th, 1865, old Bob appears in a parade celebrating the victory, right? Yep. Well, he... uh he was described by many and during the parade as a splendid old horse of dark bay color with swelling nostrils and the eyes of an eagle. Does that mean he was just freaked out? I mean, <laughs> swelling nostrils and eyes of an eagle means he was just freaked the hell out during the parade. That's what I get out of that. <laughs> Not a parade horse. No. Well, Lincoln was shot. On April 15th, you know, I forgot, you know, we all studied history and I've watched a million uh, Civil War movies, but uh, you forget how soon after the surrender Lincoln was shot. He had like no time to enjoy this victory, right? Aww. It was two weeks, you know, and uh, Lincoln was shot. And then, of course, he died the next day. He was mourned at the nation's capital and then was taken by train back to Springfield, Illinois, for the burial. In Springfield on May the 4th, Bob, who was 16 at the time, walked behind Lincoln's hearse. Now, they weren't doing the whole stirrup thing, the empty boot boot in the stirrup thing at that point. So, But he did walk behind Lincoln's hearse wearing a silver-trimmed morning blanket. And he was led by the Reverend Henry Brown, who I'll talk about in a minute, who was African-American. Uh, six black horses pulled the hearse, which was borrowed from the city of St. Louis. It was a $6,000 hearse. Now, that's in that day's dollars. So you're, we're talking a $100,000 hearse here in today's money. Wow. 
It was very fancy hearse. So I saw pictures of it. So that was pulled by six black horses with black plumes. Uh, and then. Oh, I love when they do the black. I love when yeah. they do the plumes. And they I still do that in England with, with the funerals over there. Yeah. Uh, we have I a mean, friend. I know it's a, it's a funeral thingy, but. Yeah. And the friend that we had, we've so had her on this driving show over in England actually uses the hor- horses with the black, with the black blankets, you know, uh, covers and yep. then the black plumes. But that's how they did it. At this procession, because they had already done the official mourning in D.C., this procession was to go to the grave site. So, but apparently this, this horse, old Bob, had become kind of a, a celebrity. And there were people running up to old Bob during the funeral procession trying to cut pieces of his tail off as souvenirs. So the pe- the funeral directors and the people involved in the funeral kept having to chase people away who were trying to cut pieces of old Bob's tail off. No wonder he had his eyeballs like an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, old Bob is commemor- commer- commemorated in a statue of Lincoln and old Bob that's at the homestead there in Illinois. Um, and this was done by a group, a studio, a New York-based studio called Studio EIS. And they apparently spent a lot of time studying old photos and of and the clothing he wore, and they studied actual skull shapes and things like that. They they had a forensic scientist on staff to help them with to get this statue correct. Wow. They also studied pictures of old Bob and really spent a lot of time on on this statue. And that statue can be seen there. It's a full size statue. And he's in and Lincoln's in his top hat. Uh Lincoln was six foot four and wore a size fourteen shoe. What? He was a big man. Yes, he was a big guy. I knew he was extremely tall. I yeah, didn't realize shoe. he was that tall. I guess <laughs> yep. duh. And with that top hat, made him about seven feet, you know? It's like. No wonder he did so well as president. <laughs> Nobody would mess with that. So he. Oh, Abe. Yeah, he. Um, so old Bob, asked, uh, you know, took, took, uh, did the funeral procession. And then uh, he was made into a briar. You can get an old Bob briar, and he's wearing the black, uh, the black funeral garb. Uh, so, and that's still available. You can still find old, old Bob the briar. So I don't know what happened to old Bob. I haven't, I wasn't able to find anything in my research about, you know, when he died or how long he lived or anything. Uh, I, you know, uh, obviously, you know, notes were not taken as well back then, but, uh, you know, I'm sure if I dug far enough and into some, uh, books and documents, we could probably figure out what happened to old Bob. If anybody knows, let us know what happened to old Bob and we'll, we'll give an update to the story. The Reverend Henry Brown, who was an African-American who led old Bob during the uh, funeral ceremony, uh, was a Methodist Episcopal Episcopal preacher. I can't talk today. Say that five times fast. And he apparently worked in various capacities for Abraham Lincoln, not a slave. Abraham Lincoln never had owned a slave in his life. He actually was a paid employee uh, uh, for the Abraham Lincoln family and took care of uh, Lincoln's family horse and, and led that horse in the procession. But he was also well known for being involved in the Underground Railroad. 
And this was what was said in his obituary, in the obituary of Reverend Henry Brown. Many a poor slave escaping by means of the Underground Railway during the Civil War was helped on his way by Mr. Brown, who acted as a conductor at the Quincy and Springfield stations. His idea of golden rule was illustrated by one instance where he gave his own coat and vest to a poor fellow who was without one. Mm. He and Brown was a native of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and arrived in Springfield in 1847. He remained a resident uh, except for a couple of years, and then was buried there in Springfield, Illinois, and had been a friend of the Lincoln families for years. I thought that was an interesting story. side story to that. Um, now, Lincoln, what as you mentioned earlier, was a big animal lover. Yeah, uh, apparently he was a huge cat guy. Loved cats. Matter of fact, Mary Todd was asked what one of Lincoln's for a newspaper article was asked if her husband had a hobby. And Mary Todd Lincoln said, yes, cats. So, <laughs> yeah, you got to remember, Mary Todd Lincoln was a little nutty. Uh, she had some serious uh, mental issues. Um, I did not know that. Oh, yes. Did you ever watch the story, the, the movie Lincoln? That no. was put out recently. You need to watch that. That was an okay. excellent movie. Okay. Um, well, the Civil War is drawing, you know, to to the end, and Lincoln was out visiting the troops, and he noticed three stray kittens in a telegraph hut, and apparently he picked them up and placing them in his lap. Uh, he he was cuddling them and everything, and he asked the people about the mom. And when he learned the kitten's mother was dead, he made sure the kittens would be fed and had a good home before he would leave. So, um, you know, he was really uh, he was a cat guy. Well, everybody knows the story about Lincoln and the turkeys that his kids came in to a meeting one time. They had a turkey that they were going to have for uh, for Thanksgiving dinner, which Lincoln started, by the way, Thanksgiving. And uh, Lincoln's son. Like we didn't have enough reasons to love the guy. He's just got he just keeps getting better and better. Well, he had this turkey that was going to become lunch. Right. Um, And apparently Lincoln's son interrupted a meeting and had named this turkey Tom. Uh, and pleaded with the father. I, to love, I love that Bob the horse. I know, Tom, Tom the turkey. <laughs> uh, and that's where the term Tom, Tom Turkey or, came from. Yep. Well, they pleaded with dad to give him a stay of execution. And apparently he took time out of his cabinet meeting to issue an order of reprieve, sparing the turkey's life. Oh, so that's how. Passionate it, man. And that's how it. Today, the president still spare a turkey every year. Now, we See, eat the other 10 million, but we spare the one anyway. I, I think and it's I love this because I just think I think that it's I don't know. Abraham Lincoln really helped shape the future of our country during his time in and a lot of ways, in, in so yeah. many different ways. I mean, we moved ahead leaps and bounds because of him. And I love the fact that compassion was the fuel for his engine. Well, that also extended to dogs. He had a dog named Fido, who was a mixed breed, and apparently had floppy ears and a yellow coat. He's probably a lab of some sort. Um, and apparently when the fireworks and cannons uh, went off at Lincoln's victory at uh, in his election in 1860, Fido was terrified. And it's, because he was so terrified, he wanted to get him kind of out of 
town away from all the noise. So he had uh, uh, two people named John and Frank Roll were neighborhood boys who promised to take care of uh, Fido. And he, he this is his the, real name was Fido. His real was, name was Fido. Was Fido. Yes. He uh, he told the boys, apparently this was the rules. He was they were to let Fido inside the house whenever he scratched at the front door. He was <sighs> they were never to scold Fido for entering the house with muddy paws and to feed him if he came to the dinner table. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so, and Fido, I didn't know this, is Latin for the word fidelitas, which uh-huh. translates to faithful. Or loyal. Yeah. Oh, my God. President Lincoln, I wish you were still alive. Now I'd we're not done yet. <laughs> but I would write him a letter. And I you know. know what? I'm four. Uh, I'm not going to say how old I am. I'm <clears throat> so many years old. And I would write President Lincoln a letter and I would be, even at my age, my advanced years, I would wait by my mailbox every day for his reply. Well, he also, that wasn't it. This place, the White House was a zoo back then. Uh, he apparently, what do you mean back then? <laughs> he appeared, yeah, exactly. It's just not with animals anymore. Uh, apparently, there were also two goats on the property, Nanny and Nanco. Oh, my God. This just keeps getting better. And apparently the kids, Tad and Willie, like to hitch the goats to carts or to kitchen chairs and have the goats pull them through the White House, inside the White House. Uh, Danny and Nanko both like to chew things. And apparently they got in trouble for chewing up the flowers and also for chewing the bulbs that were planted by the White House gardener. So the gardener apparently was known to chase the uh, goats around the White House because they kept eating everything. All right. Well, I mean, come on. Those of us with goats have known. We know that's... <laughs> the Lincolns also had okay. rabbits and many cats. Uh, they're not sure how many cats, but apparently there were quite a few cats, and there were the goats and the dog and you know, turkeys and stuff. So that was the story of Abraham Lincoln and all of his animals, including, including old Bob. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about old Bob and Lincoln's pets. I, I, I enjoyed uh, researching it and finding all the information and the old stories about it. It was really cool. Very, very cool. That's interesting. I, I started Googling trying to find out what happened to old Bob, too. I was like, what happened to old Bob? Did you where find did it? I could not find what ended up, ha- you know, where he was buried or when he died. Well, or I, I found this uh, weird us.com. Uh, what, what year was... Um, Old Bob. Eighteen was it? Eighteen sixties or something? You know, somewhere in there. So there's a non a non human buried in Sanford's Lakeview Cemetery, and the horse. It's a horse named Old Bob. It says this is the horse that pulled the hearse, oh, and it was Bob that carried most of the humans in this cemetery on their final ride. So I don't oh, that's know. A different old Bob. It, yeah, yeah. It must be a different old Bob. There must have been a lot of old Bobs. Yeah, I was just wondering. I I really tried to dig and find out what happened to him after, but the, pretty much the story stopped after Lincoln's buried. So. I didn't. I didn't have. Uh, if anybody knows what happened to old Bob, let us know. Yeah, uh, he's in the backyard. Somebody's he's in somebody's backyard. Right yeah, now. that's right. <laughs> Head on over to Horses in the Morning and post it there. We we would love to know the answer. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Back on Track Products for being our title sponsor, and thank you to all of our auditors for helping to keep this uh, boat rolling as or boat rolling boat <laughs> floating. floating. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh I didn't yes, even Jennifer, I forgot twice. to mention that in the I wanted to mention that. Jennifer just typed here there's a briar horse for old Bob. 
Yeah, you said that in the in the Did interview. I? Okay, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that... Yeah. Do you have old Bob? I don't, because I just collect racehorses, but I've got the old horse, the one that has the hat on. Oh, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> old timer, I think what is what it's called. What's the first briar? Do you know? Maybe old timer needs an old Bob. We got to get the briar people back on. It's been so long since we talked about briars, but I wonder what the first briar was. There's a horse. It's an history segment, the first briar. Well, you. thank you again, everybody. Get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com uh, and get them in before Friday. We'll announce on Friday what the prize is for this month as well. And I'm thinking that I have a lot of crap right now, just saying. So uh, I'm sure that might be part of it. All right, cool. Everybody have a great day. Spay, neuter, geld. Talk to you on Friday. $600. Take hey, don't judge. That's crowns. You can put that right in the documents. I told Chad 600. He's like, oh, that's not so bad. I was like, no, each. 